0: When I travel around and I talk to people, and there's a, pretty much a constant question, especially when people find out what I'm engaged in. And uh, But it's questions that I've asked as well, and probably everyone in this room has asked. And that has to do with why does God allow uh, suffering? And why does God allow death or injustice? All this stuff. There's, and... <laughs> When people, so if there's anything they could ask God, now, granted, when you meet God, probably if you had something you would ask Him, you're not going to think of it at that moment. But if there's anything that you could ask God, it would be, these are the questions people seem to indicate to me they would ask Him. God, why did you allow suffering? And why did you allow sickness? And, and if God exists, uh, then evil shouldn't, because God's all-powerful, and God's good, and therefore he should stop it. Well, these are questions that people have, and oftentimes they're questions that keep people from fully following or trusting God, or even those who have, Christians who have, can find themselves somewhat disillusioned because they prayed prayers in a certain way, and they didn't get answered in the way that they thought they should have been answered, or possibly they feel they weren't answered at all. Well, uh, yesterday I was out on my deck and thinking about different people, and uh, a couple came to mind, Matt and Heather Sweetman. So I thought, oh, I'll just send them a message. And since I knew I was going to speak on this topic today, I, I thought I'd ask them some questions and how they were able to deal with some of the things they've been through. Matt and Heather, uh, I knew Heather when she was a little girl. I kind of watched her grow up, and she was fun and giggly and bubbly, effervescent little girl. And I knew her parents quite well, and we still do. We're great friends. Carl and Virginia Harrington, they pastor of Jubilee Church in Atlanta, Georgia. And when she graduated, she went off to England to do a year of mission work in Bedford. And uh, somehow in this process, she met an English guy. And uh, they ended up getting married and moving to the U.S. Of course, where else would you want to live but here and moved here and had a couple of kids and so forth. But they had, it was evident there was a real grace on their life. And so I asked him, I said, would you consider moving to St. Louis and doing a year of internship just much like we've recognized here today? with a view in mind of going to plant a church. And they prayed about it and said, yeah. So they came, spent a year with us. Toward the end of that year, I spoke to them. I said, Matt, uh, we'd really like to plant a church in Chicago. That's a big undertaking. It's the third largest city in the United States, 9 million people. Not an easy task. What not you prayerfully consider? It? Well, they did and decided to go. And it's not been easy. Planning churches is hard work. But they moved right into the city. The city's quite transient. There's, uh, lots of professional people get moved all the time. and Housing is difficult and it's expensive. And so they're living in an upstairs apartment, climbing steps and taking you know, no parking, You know, trying to find a place to park the car, maybe a block away and all that stuff. And uh, they, while they were there, they had their fourth child. And her name is Finley. And it was, wasn't long after Finley was born. That they determined that something was seriously wrong with her. And after diagnosis, it was discovered that she had cerebral palsy. And it ended up being quite severe. And uh, so here they are, having planted a church, which is thriving actually, but still all the hard work and packing kids and groceries up, and now with a disabled little girl, carrying her around because she was unable to walk. And I asked them some questions, the same kind of questions I just spoke to you about. Why why do you think God allows this? How do you feel? How do you cope with that? How do you cope with the questions? And so throughout today's message to you, I want to share this story, uh, little parts of it throughout to the end. This is Heather. And so she sent this to me yesterday. She says about six months after Finley's diagnosis and all the kids are going to bed and Jones, their oldest, who's eight years old, only eight, got up in tears. And when we ask, what's what's wrong? He said, I don't know anyone who has a brother or sister like Finley. Why would God allow this to happen? Now, isn't that adult question really? And here's a little boy. Why did God allow that to happen? And I think it's, it's... She said it was amazing to us that at eight years of age, Jones was able to articulate the effect of suffering, isolation, and questioning God. Matt gave Jones a short explanation of a fallen world. He went theological on him. A fallen world that we live in and the suffering that's come out of that. And he went on to explain... That even with the right answers to those questions, we would still feel the deep pain in our hearts. He explained, sometimes we believe that if we have the answer, we'll be okay. Why, God? If we had the answer, we'd be okay. But we understand. But the truth is that even if we knew why God allowed Finley to have cerebral palsy, it would still be heartbreaking. See, at this point in the conversation, all three of us were in tears. And we hugged each other and held on to each other. And we just cried. She said, this is, there was, she said this was a defining moment for the three of us. It's a tangible moment when God showed us that suffering combined with vulnerability and truth brings us closer together to each other and to him. What an amazing story. More on this story in a, in a minute. There's really really no answer to the why question. Why does God allowed this to happen? We hear about it. We see it on the news. It's heartbreaking. And there's no answer that would satisfy us at all. It's like Paul writes about this very thing in Romans 9 when he Talks about a potter that's molding the clay, and he says, "Well, what is molded say to the molder? Why'd you make me like this?" Well, how many of us at times have thought, "God, why'd you make me like this? Why'd you? Why was I born in the family I was born into? Why do these traits pervade? Why, God, was I made uh, like this? Why?" Uh, was I made with, with a family history that makes me genetically inclined to get cancer or or stroke or, or a child with cerebral palsy? I, why wasn't I a clay pot designed differently than the way, why me? Now, most of you in this room have said that, at least to yourself. Well, Paul refused to answer the why question because he really knew there wasn't any future in it. Instead, he defended God's wisdom. And this is what he said in Romans eleven thirty three: All oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond a tracing out. Now, there isn't really a clear why. Always for the situations that we particularly face. And it's really the wrong question. And it should be when things happen, how am I to respond? Some things happen because of decisions we've made. And we need to examine those decisions, and and if there is repentance that's necessary, we're then fine. Other times, it's other other situations or things that we don't seem to have any involvement in that just have happened our way. How should we respond in the midst of that? Because I think that's really crucial uh, for us to uh, to to understand, because. Um, we we must not, looking back at the why, is not going to solve anything. It's not going to change anything. It's in the moment. How should I respond? Where am I going to go? What about my dependency on God? And then, for me, actually, at this point, a a hope for the future. There's going to be a day come when uh, that's all over for me. I'll get back to that later. (laughs) But what future... Does God have beyond this life of suffering? And I, we should understand uh, God correctly. He's not an advocate of suffering. In fact, is He hates it. And I think well, the logical thing if He hates it, why does He allow it uh, to go on? Well, I'll get to some of that. 2,500 years ago, there was a guy named Jeremiah in the Bible, and he wrote the Book of Jeremiah. And he also wrote another book that you'd find quite uplifting called Lamentations. So. <laughs> If you ever feel you 're flying too high and you want to be brought down to earth, read lamentations uh, and uh, yeah it 's according to the title is you know the subject matter of the book but he 's talking about the the people of Israel made certain decisions, and he says, if you make these decisions, you know you 're inviting disaster upon your life they didn 't really believe them, and uh, the fact is it did happen, so uh, uh, an army the Babylonian army invaded and basically besieged them. And it got so bad that people's children were dying of starvation and mothers were cooking, eating their dead children. I mean, it's a grotesque situation. How evil and how wicked. And if there's ever a question, why does God allow anything like this? And this is what he says in Lamentations 3.31. He says, but, but God, listen, He won't be cast off forever. Come on, turn to God, basically he's saying. He's saying he will show compassion So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Now, Jeremiah said it's right there in the Bible. God doesn't do that. He doesn't bring the affliction. But we have it, and we live in a fallen world, and and I want to examine Matt's idea because it brings comfort to him in just a minute. Uh, We inherit certain things. I had nothing to do with it. My my mother's side of the family has a propensity toward deafness, and it's really a handicap. So, uh, basically, uh, I have very severe hearing loss, and uh, it it takes me out socially. I don't want to interrupt conversations. I don't want to keep saying, now, what would you say? I don't want to ask people. It means going to the movies with my wife is not pleasant. So we don't. Uh, I inherited that from mom. Thank you, mama. My mom's 94, and she's worse than I am. So it was really fun watching us converse. You don't want to be in the same room. It's, <laughs> we're shouting at each other. Whoa, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, from my father, I inherited heart disease, and I've, been, I've taken medication for that that's supposed to really help me and make me uh, better. But don't, if, you, if you take things like that, don't read the fine print. So it's like, have you ever noticed one of those papers they hand out at the pharmacy? There's a caution. Side effects. Let me tell you my side effects, all right? And you'll understand my quirkiness. Dizziness. Headache. Pleasant one. Diarrhea. Throat inflammation. Runny nose. That's why I always do been doing this. Back pain. Constipation. Now tell me, how does that work? Yeah. Diarrhea and constipation. <laughs> Gas, that means you don't want to be too close to me or in confined spaces. (laughs) Stomach upset, pain, nausea, depression. Contact your doctor if you experience muscle pain, joint pain, chest pain, swelling in the arms or legs, or weakness, yellowing eyes and skin, dark urine, drowsiness, lightheadedness, unusual tiredness, or weakness. This is going to help me. This drug helps me. <laughs> I think sometimes babies ought to come with a kind of a, a label like that, actually. It could be, you know, this, this will have, having kids is great. It'll deal with your selfishness, I can tell you that. And, but hey, so life can be full of adventure, fun, excitement, laughs, and joy. Caution with this baby. Side effects. Besides the obvious pukiness on the shirt and poopiness on the diaper. Illness, abuse. Broken relationships. Disappointment. Betrayal. Sorrow. Loss. Heartache. Crime. Or death. I was moved by the recent interview of Reality Winner's mother. Reality Winner was arrested for leaking classified documents and went before a hearing of the judge this week to uh, plea for uh, bail. And uh, the government argued that she was a flight risk and showed evidence uh, by which the judge denied bail. But her mother, it was really heartbreaking. Her mother pleaded and said, she's a good girl. She's a good girl. She won't run away. She'll stay. She won't flee. Grant her. They offered to mortgage their home and stuff to pay for bail. The judge denied. Caution, side effects. The Bible deals with it. The Bible doesn't hide from real life. It puts up books like the book of Job. Oh, that's a fun book. And here's a guy dealing with all kinds of injustice and suffering that it didn't seem like he should deserve any of this. It's not a result of decisions that he's made like most of us. Well, then when you read the book of Psalms, it's full of the same kind of stuff. psalmist is questioning. He's, he's confused. He says... I don't understand God, and he's really honest with God. I don't understand. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? I don't get it. I love the honesty of the scripture because it's people being honest before God. God doesn't seem to be offended about that, pouring out their heart. So a national survey was the first thing you would ask God, if you could, why is there suffering in the world? I'll just give you three quick things here tell you first of all that God did not create suffering or sickness and death. Now this is where Matt Sweetman gets his comfort. So I'm going to throw that. It's kind of a man's thing more than a woman's thing. You'll see it's... But hopefully it'll help you. Why didn't God create a world without suffering and evil? He did! (laughs) And after he created the world... He said, God saw what he made, and it was good. And he made man, and he made woman, and he put them there. And he said, hey, enjoy this. And God's presence walked with him. There was no sickness. There was no death. There was no conflict. There was only harmony and joy and abundance. And he said, you can eat anything you want. You can have it all. You can just, but one tree. Don't touch that because it's bad things. When God gives us a prohibition, it's not to eliminate our fun. It's to save us from pain. Just like you tell your kid, don't go play in the street. Keep your hands off that hot skillet. Don't do it. The prohibition is not to eliminate the kid's freedom and fun. It's to protect them from suffering. So God says, don't eat this tree. Well, we know the story. And of course, they did. They did. See, God didn't create us as robots. He gave us the ability to make a choice, just like him. He created us in his image. He gave us a, a will where we can make decisions. Along with that power to make a decision is the possibility to make a bad decision. And that's what the tree would represent. So Adam chose his freedom to make A bad decision. He rebelled, and as a result, this world fell. He brought just what God said would happen sickness and pain and death. In fact, he created a big mess. It wasn't long before, even in his own family and children, there was difficulty, and his sons rose up. Cain, one brother killed another brother. It's like, what is going on here? And it's because he made this decision. Nations make decisions, kings and presidents and potentates, they make decisions in their desire for greater wealth and domination and, and that's what you see all the time in the news and all that the subterfuge and all that's going on is, is wicked leaders attempting to gain some advantage, to gain more territory, to gain more power all the bluster, the danger to the rest of humanity it's simply a result of decisions that are being made that are wicked Why would God do that? Wouldn't it be better off if he didn't give us that power? Wouldn't it, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better if he just programmed us to just say and do the right things? I mean, the danger of, of of creating us with the power of choice is that God's creating the potential for evil to come into the world because we we can make these bad decisions. Well, here's the point. The only way there can be true and satisfying joyous relationships is through the power of choice. When my little girls were growing up, before the days of lots of batteries and electronics, uh, we'd get them a doll, and it had a little loop behind the back with a string. you pull it out, and it would say things when you let go of the string. You know, like, I love you. I love you. Until you wanted to break its head. I mean, I love you. Now, what satisfaction and joy could you get out of that? Something robotically programmed, say, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. Because you have no choice. The only way that this works to real fulfillment is when people do that out of a choice I love you, Jesus. And the same way is with your relationships. The only way that you could receive fulfillment in relationship is that someone freely cares for you and expresses it. And they have a choice. They don't have to, but they do. And so God created us with that. But he didn't create evil and sickness. It's just the potential for it was there with the decisions. But God also knew that we would make these terrible decisions. And so even before the foundation of the world, God had determined that he loved us so much that he wouldn't allow us to be lost, that he wanted to provide a pathway for redemption. And he worked that all out. Before we have children, we can't foresee the real possibility that they may suffer or we might suffer pain and disappointment But the heartache in life that you may experience, and you're all aware of it. If you have little kids before they've grown up and made decisions, and some of you do in this room. Right now, the only heartache they cause you is spilling stuff on the sofa, things like that. But they're going to grow up and they're going to get to the place where they're going to make decisions. And every one of you know that then tell me why you still want to have kids. (laughs) Because you also know there's the potential for real joy and relationship and love and meaning. That's no different with God. That's why he created us. He knew about all the bad stuff that could happen. But he also knew the great potential for relationship, love and joy. He didn't cause it, but that's the issue. It's the same God. And he knew we'd rebel against him, but he said, he loved you so much, he thought, it's worth it. So he did it. And it caused him great pain to achieve our redemption. The second thing I want to say is, though suffering isn't good, God is so powerful in his redemptive nature that he can take something really bad and cause it to work a good purpose in us. What an amazing guy. You know, take the lemons of the world, make lemonade. Take mud pies in the world, make real chocolate pie. He can do that. And that's what he does. And, and, and he draws people with that. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, and he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains to rouse the deaf world. As I've noticed this with people, when they think about God, is not when it's going well. But when the pain comes, they have, oh God, I have people who call me, they say, could you pray for me? They didn't do that when it was going good. It rouses the deaf world. And for some, even the bad stuff causes a real sorrow that leads to a positive impact. This is how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians 7.10. For the sorrow that according to God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. It'll work that way. God takes what is meant for evil and he redeems it to draw us to our need of a relationship with him. I've had some painful moments in my life. If you live long enough, you will. Some of them are a result of decisions I made. Did God cause that? Nope. Am I going to blame God for that? Nope. But I've also seen Him take those same decisions that I've made when I've said, "God, that was stupid. I didn't consult you. I knew I." And I've seen Him turn them. And over a process of time, build something quite positive out of it. Paul was able to look at sufferings and and look to a day when they wouldn't exist, and it brought him great hope. He says, I consider the suffering of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. That helps me too. You know, there's some advantage to know that life is short. Well, turn the page. There's something to be revealed. So he said in 2 Corinthians, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. I look in the mirror every day. I know this to be true. (laughs) Our inner self is being renewed day by day. I know that to be true. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. things that are seen, they're only temporary. But this is eternal. This comforts me. I need this. God makes positive things happen out of the negative. The scripture sets it this way: we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose in Romans eight twenty-nine. And God has a habit of taking these things and causing good to emerge. Joseph was a guy whose brothers betrayed him, they sold him into slavery. Life didn't look, he, he was bought by a guy and was a slave, served the guy well, and then the guy's wife took a fancy to him and tried to seduce him. He resisted because he's being faithful and good and upright. She accused him of, of assault. He got, landed in prison. Twelve years of misery for this guy. And one day, God got him out and put him in charge of a food supply. When there was a great famine on the earth and his brothers come to buy food When they found out who it was, they thought, we're curtains. He's got a right to office right here. He's got all this power. And this is the wonderful thing about this guy. He could see God at work in the midst of all the terrible things that happened. And and that's what he said. You intended it for harm. It wasn't a good thing. You intended it for harm. But God, I love it when Scripture interjects that. You but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. God takes a positive, makes a negative, makes a positive out of it. Takes the worst thing that ever happened, the death of his son, and turns it into the best thing that ever happened. That's amazing. Heather's story, let's go back to it quickly. Matt and I have dealt with suffering in different ways. Matt finds deep comfort and relies on the truth that we live in a fallen world. And that, ultimately, all this is for the glory of God and he's in control of all things. That's where he goes. But Heather said, but I found comfort in words that God has given us personally. And one specific one that comes back to, again, when struggling with isolation, you got a handicapped child, you're, you're there, that you're married to that child. And struggling with isolation and feeling deeply misunderstood, God simply said to me, Heather, Even if no one else understands what it's like to have a child living with a serious limitation. I understand what it's like to be a parent of a child who lives with a serious limitation. She said, I was blown away by God's grace to, to relate to me on a parent level. And God showed me how Jesus understands Finley's limitation more than anyone. He had lived forever in complete freedom of heaven before coming to earth to be severely limited in human form. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. He wants to speak to you today in whatever dilemma that you face to bring peace. In the world you have tribulation. But he wants to speak personally to us. Into your heart. Just open up and ask God, what do you want to say to me in this? God's response to all of these things, suffering and Sickness and injustice is deeply personal. The ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It's not an answer to the why. It's the incarnation. God Himself looked at our sorry state on this earth and came into the mess and rubble and sewage of this life and became human like you and to live by the same rules of suffering and the same rules that you live by. And He suffered. On your behalf and with you, God is not distant. He is not detached. He has entered into our world of pain. Let me ask you today: Are you broken? Broken relationships? Are you broken? He was broken. Do you feel? Have you ever been despised? He was despised. You ever been ridiculed? And he humiliated publicly, so was he. We don't have a high priest who can't be touched by the feeling of our infirmity. Scripture says he's in all points tempted like we were. He's been through it too. He didn't have to do that. Do you cry out, you can't take it anymore? Scripture says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus lived and died by the rules of life and the same ones you suffer by. Actually God came in the flesh to suffer alongside us and to redeem us. Greater love, Jesus said, has no man than this. He'd lay down his life for his friends. And 24 hours later he did. Jesus, God himself, come a human, become a human, gave his life for you in the world. And he suffered and died for us. He knows what it is to take away your sins. It's disgusting as you think some sins are and they are. as disgusting as you feel your own sins are. Think about what other people have done. And you go, oh. Jesus not only carried it, he became all of that and experienced it all on your behalf. That's the greatest example of God's love. He laid down his life. Back to Heather quickly. She says, although we pray daily for Finley's healing, hasn't happened yet. But we pray daily for her healing. We also have become aware of the gifts that God has given us so that as we've walked this road with her, the suffering and heartbreak have all driven us closer to one another and to God we're very aware of our need of Him and our church community in a way that we would have never known. We're able to see how the good things that are coming out of having cerebral palsy, we see how God, through the suffering, has given a deep compassion for others and how suffering bridges gaps that would have otherwise been across. We've come to a place where we, are, where we see that there are treasures that only God can give in the darkest of places. We have a long way to go, she said, but we're grateful for the journey. Are they not heroes or what? And Matt added a little postscript. They did this together, but he wanted to add something of his own. He said, the biggest thing we've seen through everything with Finley is the generosity and care of other people. We're amazed so much, so much more than we could have ever imagined we've received. It's amazing to see God's love and provision come through so many people. It's wonderful when people see the need and want to meet it. I can't explain everything in life that you're going through. But I can explain something about the future. Future resurrection, we who believe and follow Jesus are going to receive immortal bodies. I will be able to hear you. And our lives will be suffering free, the tortured, the cancer victims, the unloved, the paraplegics, the child with cerebral palsy. The lost, the lonely will suffer no more. That I can guarantee. And God will swallow up suffering and death in the victory of eternal life. We will see him as a God who cares in a way more than we've ever seen it before just and merciful. He was the healer. He is the life giver. The one who doesn't take pleasure in our suffering. And in the last book of the Bible, the final chapters, God will dwell with his people. Revelation 21 says this is what he'll do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, crying, or pain, For the old order of things has passed away. If you're here today, and you are, (laughs) well, you can be here and not here, but I think you're here. Maybe some of you in this room are angry or disappointed at God, and you've prayed prayers that haven't been answered. Guess what? Join a club. But I can look back at prayers that weren't answered in the way that I've prayed them, and see that actually, in hindsight, because I have this history, I say, God, actually, that actually turned out good. And, and not in a way that I prayed for. God was at work. I could see that. There are other things I haven't seen it yet. I'm praying for things really important to me. God hasn't seen fit to answer them yet. This is where I stand with that. I'm going to die someday, and so are you. And I may die before those prayers are answered that are very important to me that have to do with family and loved ones. I don't die in despair. My body is temporary. My prayers are eternal. They will live on when I breathe my last on this earth. My confidence is in him. God loves us. He answers prayer. If you're disappointed, maybe bitter, just confess it to Jesus today. And say, Lord, I want to hear your words. Not the accusations, your words. And he'll speak peace to you. He'll visit you in that moment. He's not offended by you. He loves you. For some of you, you're living in the past of something that happened. Boy, do I have horror stories about the past. I don't live there, though. I've turned a page on them. You need to not live in the past. What has happened? Understand that God's even able to take the past and use it redemptively in your life. Turn the page in it. Look to the future. And the last thing I'd say And some people might be here who don't really follow Jesus and you are skeptical and you have questions. And the questions have kept you from following Jesus. Don't do that. If you turn to him, say, I decided to put aside my questions and just believe him. He will meet you in a way that will bring confidence to you and peace like you never imagined. Turn your life to Jesus.